umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and today we're going to talk about the letter that michigan football coach jim harbaugh sent out an open letter to the football community well, Clint, after reading through this, what are your initial impressions of uh, Coach Harbaugh's thoughts here? It, well, initially, from, from a high level, I think that it's it's great to get some of any conversation about college football going that is thought-provoking and generates a, you know, a positive discussion and, and not trying to be uh, controversial or, or just uh, clickbait type uh, type stuff so at least there is some content to discuss among college football fans and, uh, and we'll be able we'll be able to discuss at least something that that might be productive um, in terms of the specifics I think that there's a lot uh, a lot to be a lot to be mulled over but I want uh, you know I, I think that there's there's a lot of pros and cons on both sides of this so it's, it's an interesting starting point i think and 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 that's probably how harbaugh meant it if, if i had to guess well it's definitely interesting you know uh coach harbaugh hasn't been shy about sharing his opinion at times on things and it is interesting because he's somebody who has come through the system as a recruit he's been drafted in the nfl he's played in the nfl he's coached in the nfl and now he's he's back coaching at the collegiate level so he does have an interesting overview of the entire process, and uh, let's uh, let's go through uh, his proposal point by point. So, uh, and again, I assume uh, people who've seen this or are listening to this podcast have seen the letter. Uh, I will include a link in the podcast uh, uh, description so you can go through and get it if you haven't. Um, it begins with a, a few paragraphs of introduction, and then it gets to the proposal. So, proposal. One, the individual would choose to declare or could choose to declare for the professional draft after any season he chooses. If he is drafted within the first 224 picks of the NFL draft or chooses to sign a free agent contract, he would forego remaining college eligibility. However, if he is not drafted within the first 224 picks of the NFL draft, he would be able to, to return to college football if he chooses without penalty provided he remains in academic compliance and does not receive payment from an agent. So, Clint, what do you think about this first proposal from Coach Harbaugh? It, it reminded me immediately of the conversation um, with the NBA in college basketball. Uh, specifically, Charles Matthews uh, declared for the draft um, with a season of eligibility still remaining um, and went far enough in that process that he was not eligible to return to school. And then he blew his knee out in, before the draft, obviously um, uh, hurting his, his draft value. He doesn't get picked and he also can't get back. So we got caught in a middle ground. So I think that uh, is the type of problem that um, is addressed outside of also um, changing when somebody, uh, you know, any season uh, or a player would be eligible right now. They have to be three full NFL seasons removed from high school. And this uh, obviously disposes of that, but really uh, the, the language that I was 
immediately zoomed in on was that they could go back if the draft um, did not benefit them for, for whatever reason. And you had to stay within academic compliance and, you know, and take care of the amateurism piece without getting payment from an agent. So I think that there's a, a lot to chew on there. Um, I, it's, it's obviously pro player. It's pro athlete. It's pro um, it, it's from the player's perspective and it gives them more power and more leverage in, over their own future. And I think that um, any move in that direction starts with my support, but even the specifics that he gets into, I think are also great here. You know, I think it's a great idea. And I, and I think you and I both agree that more needs to be done for the players and they need to have more freedom. I remember, you know, gosh, almost 25 years ago, having a discussion with uh, a friend of mine who followed Michigan hockey. And at the time, um, you know, Michigan was becoming a, a really prominent program and players were starting to leave early. They were having that, uh, you know, the, the curse of success where the program was recruiting higher ranked players and then the players were leaving earlier. And what you get in that is that you kind of break up the team a little bit. You don't get the continuity. And I remember, uh, you know, bemoaning about, well, you know, you're really not getting the player for a couple years. It's you're not really getting a chance for them to gel over a couple seasons. And, you know, my friend saying, well, are you saying they can't go? And I'm like, no, listen, the same way that you and I, when we were at the university of Michigan could leave for a job, you should be able to leave. Right. I think that any athlete should be able to leave whenever they want. I think they should be able to, uh, you know, pursue the career that they want, whether it's the NV the NFL, the NBA or, or major league baseball, anything. Okay. Any league that will pay you, you should be able to go. Um, the problem that you have with the NFL is that it's really not determined by the college coaches when you're eligible for the draft. Right. And you're kind of caught in this catch 22 where, um, Obviously, there are players who who could go play in the NFL as far as maturity and, and physical gifts, say. But the NFL Players Association, in conjunction with the NFL, has uh, you know done a collective bargaining agreement and has set this rule that you know you, you need to you're not eligible for the draft until after you've been in college for three seasons. And I think it's horribly unfair. But that is a negotiated collective bargaining agreement. So um, what I struggle with when I, when I see this, this letter, right, is that you kind of have, it's not quite collusion, but it's a convenient happenstance that the NFL has decided that, um, you know, these players, you know, the NFL Players Association and the NFL has decided that they're not going to let, uh, you know, uh, players just sign directly into the draft or, or whenever they feel they're ready. So I, I, I wonder how you, how you crack that nut, right? How do you attack that? Because, um, you know, every collegiate coach could all agree that players should be able to do this and come up with how it would work. And you and I might agree, but um, until the NFL and the NFL players association, uh, you know, make a different decision and, you know, I, I looked it up. The current collective bargaining agreement is in place until for the next 10 years. Now, not that it can't be changed, but it is a it is an interesting hurdle for this 
you know, just from a, a logistics standpoint, from a practicality standpoint, you know, and, and Maurice Claret ran into this, you know, when he wanted to go pro. So it's interesting that um, the NFL Players Association is, you know, created to benefit its members. And it seems like its members don't want any more competition from, uh, you know, younger, early entry collegiate players. So there, that has to be addressed in some way. Yeah, there's a there's a lot loaded into this point number one in Harbaugh's proposal. He kind of takes on both the NCAA and the NFL, right? Both would have to make changes in their structure because he attacks or attack is probably too strong a word, but he addresses both the entry for eligibility into the draft and then also re-entry into the NCAA after the draft if it doesn't go, you know, if that player is undrafted. So both organizations would have to make changes to their current rule structure to enable the, the concept that's there. So the, there's a lot of moving parts there and a lot that would have to change. But again, and, and I think you and I agree that those changes and the discussion of those changes are, um, are a net positive for the players and, and for competition. And in the grand scheme of things, uh, those should be good things for um, the overall state of, of all of the organizations involved. So um, I, I think that these conversations hopefully um, generate uh, at least a deeper analysis of why things are the way they are and who benefits and, and, and get a little bit more truth onto the, you know, into the front of the conversation, bring a little bit more of the conversation above the table, so to speak. Absolutely. And again, you and I are both in agreement that, um, you know, the players need more freedom and, and need more uh, access to the NFL. Um, I, I struggle with how that's going to happen. But again, those are details. If, if this can be a part of the conversation and, and, and it can push toward that, I think it's, it's a great way forward. Um, so um, next point, um, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, the next point is, uh, proposal two, the individual leaving college early, in quotes, prior to graduation who signs an NFL contract would be entitled to complete his degree while in the NFL or return to the institution that he left to continue his career as a student once his pro career was completed uh, at, at the expense of, of the university. So, and it's, it's based on how many years they played in college. Um, I, I think this makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've always believed that um, one of one of the things that is going to drive this uh, more freedom for football players, and again, we're talking about college football players specifically in this, is when you look at how the NCAA is profiting and how the institutions are profiting and how the coaches are profiting and how little – that the NCAA and colleges do relative what they to what they could do, right? Like, it would be one thing if the NCAA and college football was bending over backwards to to be reasonable and fair, but that's just not the case. Okay, I mean this, you know, and again, when you think of what do universities do, they're in the education business. You would think that it would be a slam dunk for them to be able to make this benefit uh you know available again the devil's in the details 
you know, do you provide housing? Um, you know, if the player comes back and they have a family, you know, uh, again, there, there's, you know, do they provide a stipend? There's a lot of other details, but this seems like a slam dunk. Um, well, what do you think, Clint? Well, I agree that this one is the closest to being able to be implemented uh, in a reasonable amount of time. Um, it, it, it's basically asking the NCAA to put um, put their money where their mouth is in terms of backing up their mission statement of, of being an, an educational opportunity for athletes. So the I think the sticking point, um, playing devil's advocate, again, I, I'm not advocating for that side of it, but the, the argument coming back is that you, if you left to sign an NFL contract, you would have been paid, you know, based on their uh, salary schedule for for rookies and 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 whatever their entry level uh, payment would be for your average two or three year professional career, whatever the average is, um, you, you would then hypothetically have enough money to support yourself as a, a as a professional returning to school you'd be able to pay for tuition and that particular argument gets addressed here because it's not about the ability of that athlete to pay it's about compensating that athlete for the value that they brought to the university so if they played on that team for one year then they they are entitled to one year of tuition after that so basically you the first year of tuition you used as recruiting, you brought that kid in, they played at Michigan and went to the NFL after one year, then you got one year of value out of that player who is now in the NFL, and the institution owes that back to the player regardless of what happened for that player in the NFL. And I think shifting the conversation to that trade of value that athletes bring in revenue athletes are the ones that in this the collective right right now all of the football players together provide us the opportunity to watch a football game and i think that value is now again bringing a good thing it, it's going to be very hard for the folks that have fought against um, compensating players or doing more for, for players, it's going to be very hard for them to um, take or make the argument that football does not drive value for the institution because there are a lot of athletic directors right now sweating the loss of football season because their whole department depends on that. So if you've got an essential product football games that is absolutely dependent on football players to go out there and, and perform, then this addresses that in terms of compensation for that, that work or that, um, that value that's been brought. So I, 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 I think this is the clearest point that says that whole rest of the conversation that they're already compensated in education I think Harbaugh has now pushed that one step further to make the folks that say they're already compensated. Are they compensated um, equally or, or in an equitable fashion to what they actually are providing? And there's clearly an imbalance. And it's not about, not just about the money that the coaches make 
and the money that gets poured into the university and onto the campus. But just the fact that your entire department is dependent on whether these kids would be able to play uh, eight home games in the fall, clearly um, there is more that needs to be done um, in terms of compensation. So I, I think it's, it's really brilliant in how simple it brings all of that to the forefront, I think, personally. Glenn, I would go a step further, okay? And I would X out an individual leaving college early. Why is it dependent on him signing an NFL contract, okay? How many guys come into the university, play two or three years, and have to phase out because they can't handle it academically or are injured? They still provided value, even if they were just a practice player. So when I look at this, I would go a step further and say, look, at if you played two years and you want to come back five years from now, ten years ago, years from now, you realize that you really could use that degree, I think there should be some allowance for that. Because for the very point you said, if you go to the NFL based on the minimum salary, you can afford the tuition, right? And if anything, those are the players who probably um, are, are in the least need, if that makes sense. And I'm not saying that they don't deserve to be compensated. I'm saying that, that again, you know, when we're talking about players who go to the league, I mean, it's, we're talking single digits, right? What about all those other guys? What about all the other players? I mean, there are amazing collegiate players who put in, you know, their four years and you could say they're, they're not, you know, you can define or you can dispute how much they're compensated for it. So, so again, I think this is a slam dunk. Um, and I do think it's obvious and I do think, you know, it would be great if it went a step further, but, but again, I agree with you that, that it's the most, uh, it's the most clear cut, even as it's worded. So, um, the third proposal by coach Harbaugh was a broadening of the rules to permit a student athlete and his family to consult and seek advice on or before signing a pro contract from lawyers and agents as long as uh, they do not receive compensation. And, um, you know, this this is a slam dunk, too, I think. Um, you know, there, there's been various uh, uh, boards put in place, advisory committees, um, and, and, you know, I think back to, again, to, to talk about hockey, right? Um, you know, on the college hockey side, a player can be drafted, and if they don't sign, the NHL the NHL team retains their rights until 30 days after they leave college. And during that time, they can consult with the team, right? The team can say, hey, you need to work on this, you work on that. And it, it's not perfect, but it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, so you look at this and... You know, uh, I think that this is a great point. So because, Clint, we, we know, okay, um, in, in being able to follow the team and talk to players, there are some players who leave early that you don't know what they're thinking, okay? You don't know if, if they have a family member in their head or a friend in their head or perhaps they're having trouble academically. But, you know, you know they're not going to go first round, second round. They're not going to get drafted. They're really going to struggle as a free agent. So, if there was a more um, uniform uh, mechanism for evaluation and, and independent too, I, I think that would be really, really beneficial for, for these athletes as they're trying to uh, evaluate their future. 
Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I, there's a, a great sentence in that passage um, for, for point number three that Harbaugh says, this is the time to begin encouraging them to be intelligent and informed. Again, if you're trying to do what's best for the athletes and, and the, the young adults that are trying to make life and you know um, heredity-changing, um, generational-changing uh, decisions – then they should have access to all of the most informed opinions. And, and you said a very key word that's independent. Obviously the college coach has uh, a certain, um, you know, a certain stake in keeping that player at the school. I think coaches in general try to try to be objective and try to give players their best, um, you know, their best advice, but there's, there's still, you know, it, it, there's still a conflict of interest there from the coach's perspective. From people in the league, especially tied to specific organizations, they are, you know, they have a stake in the game, right? They want as much uh, talent in the draft pool as possible because then they get more talent in the later rounds of the draft for a cheaper price. So they are going to try to draw as many people into that draft pool as possible. You need somebody that has kind of a financial or, or fiduciary responsibility to that person, that player, and is specifically looking out for their needs. And this would be the exact right time to have them start the conversations and make informed decisions about short-term gain, long-term gain, what's being sacrificed, and, and understanding the, the benefits and the costs to to the decision from from all the different angles and again I, I think it's really tremendous to see somebody with the profile that Harbaugh has advocating for empowering uh, uh, the student athletes and, and young adults to make decisions for themselves and supporting them by giving them the best information available I agree um, and uh, there's there's some additional caveats here. Um, back to Harbaugh's letter. A future model to consider, point one, or bullet point, for the first bullet point. A clean, clear, and concise college eligibility of five years for football without a redshirt clause needed to compete for five years. Um, so uh, next bullet. Consideration of eliminating the current hard cap rule, which eliminates each school to a combined maximum of 25 scholarships per year for incoming freshmen and transfers. So, Clint, uh, we talked a little bit about this. Um, how do you feel about the five the five year and done? You know, it, you know, real simple. You start. You got five years. The clock starts. Um, and and. Um, you know, kind of a. I, I think that's really to clarify the kind of ludicrous red shirt rules that we see now that that are are comp that are as clear as mud. I've never been able to understand um, how exactly a red shirt kicks in. I haven't been able to have anybody explain it to me. It seems to be a dark science, right? So it seems like Harbaugh is trying to call that out. Um, what do you think about that that bullet? I, I agree that it, it's about simplicity. It's about eliminating a lot of red tape and unnecessary questioning of whether a, a kid is eligible 
for another year or not. And the, again, the, the, the point of the entire letter is from the perspective of that kid. So if that kid is making uh, long-term decisions, they should know exactly what their eligibility would be. Even in the recent years, there's been a lot of question about whether, it, well, if, if that per let, let's take Shea Patterson for an example, because there was a, a rumor that spun after the conclusion of the 19 season that Shea Patterson might be able to petition and, and get a, another year of eligibility because of the year of injury that he spent at Ole Miss. And while nobody seemed to be all that interested from Shea Patterson's camp, he wanted to enter the draft, right? But what if? shouldn't shouldn't the player know exactly whether there's a year of eligibility um, on the card on that side of the ledger in terms of returning uh, to play another year of football or it, it, it should be definite that you're out of, of eligibility and, and I think that also brings into the conversation the uh, getting rid of the the absolutely asinine review process for transfers and he mentions transfers later but just a hard five years of eligibility from this date and and there you go and here here's what eligibility means i think simplicity um is obviously something that is not the ncaa strength so any step that would allow them to simplify some of these processes it, it would be a positive uh, for, for all involved, I, there's no nobody hurt, in my opinion, if you were to implement something that was just, here's your blanket five years of eligibility. Yeah, and I think that would also encourage players to, uh, or coaches, to be able to get their players in. So imagine like your first year, you don't have to worry about burning your red shirt, right? The guy can get in, can play, and yet still have, you know, a solid four years left. You know, it, it, it's amazing, you know, in past seasons, you'll actually be counting the number of plays somebody has done and whether they should go in, whether they should, you know, if somebody gets hurt, are they going to come in? Are they going to travel with the team? And then, you know, there, there's the ludicrous, how hurt were they, right? How can we certify what happened to a guy four years ago? It's, it's just, it's silly. And I, I think that uh, it makes a lot of sense to get rid of, um, and, uh, you know, Clint, you had a, a, a really good conversation as we were prepping for this about um, why the, uh, the consideration of eliminating the hard cap rule. Um, so, so why do you think it would make sense that uh, you'd get rid of the hard cap rule of the 25 scholarships per year for incoming freshmen? Well, when I first read um, the entire letter, I thought of, well, some programs, this is going to increase how many players on their roster you know, decide to declare early. Michigan may lose a couple more guys, but the even the most elite programs, the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma, the perennial national title contenders, they're going to have a larger outflow of, of players from their roster. So they're going to, if you cap the incoming players at 25 regardless, then they're going to have more players flowing out than they have players flowing in and it's going to be a disadvantage for them. So in order to keep your most elite programs able to at least stay on the, the same footing that they have now, if they're going to be putting more, more players into the league early, 
then they need to be able to replenish and recruit more athletes coming in to make sure that they um, can continue rolling their program year over year. So to me, that uh, future model bullet point was put in there as kind of a preemptive answer to one of the easiest arguments that, that may have been coming back um, to this whole concept. You know, and that's a really great point. Um, Harbaugh uh, has two more bullet points. I continue to support bullet point one, the current graduate transfer rule, allowing a graduate to transfer without sitting out. Next bullet, the proposed one-time transfer rule, allowing a student athlete a one-time transfer to another school without sitting out. Um, so again, now I'm going to, I'm going to, I have a bone to pick with this. Uh, I do support the one-time transfer. I don't think, um, I don't think sitting out would be the worst thing. Okay. If you have the five years of eligibility, um, and, and again, I, I do, there are times, and again, this kind of goes into kind of a more esoteric discussion, but there are times where a player will get disgruntled and they will work through it because they know they would have to sit out a year. And they actually realize that it was probably better that they work through their frustration, that they don't make a snap decision. Um, so I, again, I wonder if it makes sense that, oh, you know, I'm not, I don't like where I am on the, on the, on the uh, depth chart. Well, I'm going to leave. Right. And, you know, I, I think about the Tom Brady, you know, example where, you know, Tom Brady had to work his way into the, uh, into the uh, you know starting lineup or into a position to compete with Drew Henson here at Michigan, you know I wonder, and and obviously it, it benefited him in the long run. You know he, he talks about it as a time of real growth for him as a as a person and an athlete. You know, so I think you know uh, would we have lost you know Tom Brady if he could have left right away and been eligible right away? So, um, I'm uh, I'm willing to, uh, to to disagree with Coach on that a little bit right there. I do think that you should be able to transfer anywhere you want, even if it's in the league. Okay. I think the restrictions of, you know, uh, a lot of oftentimes players will be restricted from transferring within, you know, uh, you know, they will be, you can't go to these certain teams or you can't go to a team. We might play on the schedule. I think all that stuff needs to be blown away. Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, if you've come to the point where you want to transfer, um, you should go to whatever program is the best fit for you. And, you know, I, again, if, if, uh, if, if a player leaving from Michigan to go to Ohio state is going to help him compete more, well, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's just the price we're going to have to pay. And, you know, if somebody wants to, uh, you know, leave Ohio state and, and come to Michigan, well, uh, you know, uh, the doors are open. So, uh, I, I just think it should be an easy transfer. I don't think you should have the, the, the kind of um, capricious restrictions that, that we've heard about in the past. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think the, the goal of the, the whole one-time transfer rule is kind of, to me, it's kind of like type one error, type two error, right? Do you favor a, a, a false positive or a false negative, right? Are, are you innocent until proven guilty or guilty until proven innocent kind of thing? So, you're right that if, if transfers are easy and simplified and everybody can do it, then the number of transfers probably will increase and there probably will be some Tom Brady type situations where 
you know, they, they, they maybe should have thought harder about sticking it out, but, but they decided to, to take the path of least resistance. However, the, the other aspect is like somebody that is trying to transfer home to be closer to their family for, for, to help take care of, of some type of family obligation or for whatever reason that they, that they're, that they're moving on or any number of reasons that are legitimate and totally outside of the realm of football. Um, then, then which person, you know, which, which default should you have? And again, I think Harbaugh's intent is to be um, empathetic of the kid that is trying to make the best decision for, for his life at, at that moment. So one-time transfer, and, and I think that's a big, the, the phrase one time is kind of loaded with that same conversation. He doesn't want somebody you know, playing four at four schools in four different years, trying to find the, the the perfect fit. It's not about that. It's about allowing yourself to take a chance and go somewhere. And and if you realize that that just wasn't the best for you, then you should be able to correct that mistake with, oh, you know, this is your last chance to to make the right decision for for yourself. So it's clear that he had at least thought of when he brought up the one-time transfer, he had thought of not just taking the governor off and letting everybody free flow um, between schools. But to me, if you're going to air one side or the other, then let a kid transfer, even if they're making the wrong decision, at least it's their decision and, and they shouldn't have to beg or manipulate the NCAA system um, for that lenience. So I think these are great suggestions. I think it's a great start. And again, you know, the point you make is, you know, if this starts the conversation, um, but I really don't think it goes far enough. And again, you know, to give coach credit, I don't think he ever intended this to be, you know, the, the end of the, uh, the end of the discussion. Right. But Clint, I'll tell you, the more that I, I watch the program, okay, and I, I, I talked about this earlier about how, you know, if you're in the education business, which universities are, I think if, if that player wants to come back and go for a graduate degree, if they can qualify, I think that should be part of the deal, right? I mean, I think that, that that's something that I think would garner some goodwill uh, among universities especially you know even if you're a player you know if you put your you know harbaugh talks about that the average nfl career is you know three to four seasons right uh in in kind of uh you know his his exposition here well you know what if after that you want to come back i think the university should lean over backwards to help you with that right they're in the education business but the larger thing is you know we see these players come in and get beat down and, and have potential physical problems and ailments that, that may exhibit years after playing, right? Um, you know, there's the whole specter of CTE right now. So it seems like that part of the deal is there should be some health insurance or help with that, help diagnostic, um, something to take into account the beating that these players are are exposing their bodies to right and i think it is different i think you know if we think back to 30 or 40 years ago 
the players now are, are playing more games. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're training year-round. Um, the beating that they have on their bodies, I, I think, is taking a toll. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm struck by in being able to, um, you know, follow the team the way we do and, and, you know, talk to players is you see guys get beat down, right? You see them come in as freshmen and be all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And, and you see guys, you know, the toll it takes on them, both physically and mentally. So, um, and, and, and this kind of goes to, um, I think, where this conversation is going. And I, I think back to, um, you know, several seasons ago when um, Wilton Spate was hurt on the road when Michigan played in Purdue. And Harbaugh just went off on you know, in one of his Monday press conferences about how the inconsistent level of medical care from university to university, right? And I remember at the time thinking, well, what you're really talking about is, you know, some kind of collective bargaining, a union, right? You need something that's going to hold everyone accountable um, to providing the same services and the same medical care and, you know, I think the, the thought was, and I would say the myth was that the NCAA was um, taking the players' best interests to heart. But, but I think we can agree that that's not the case, right, or, or not nearly enough. So it's interesting. You know, Clint, I know that, you know, um, you've seen the program up close. Um, what do you think, where do you think the best solution would be down the road to, to help players making sure that they're taken care of and and that they have their benefits and and some of these problems that coach uh, mentions here is addressed and maybe some of these other things that would be helpful well it's it's a that's a pretty interesting question and there's we could talk for another another two hours or we could talk for another couple minutes so i'll, I'll try to keep it brief but i'm i'm personally a fan of the the nhl and and major league baseball draft where where young kids can be drafted and then continue through their academic career and, and exit with you know with the draft rights still belonging to that team that drafted them, I think that flexibility is really really ideal. And I think anything that the NFL and NCAA football can do to kind of disconnect the NCAA from the minor league system that it plays right now for the major sport and and we know that that's right now that's the that's what it is the nba has taken a step towards kind of a direct path i mean michigan was unfortunate to miss a, on a couple of recruits because of professional opportunities that they have but you know what in the grand scheme of things for the sport i think that it's better it's better to have a direct path to the pros rather than forcing a kid to pretend to go through the academic requirements, knowing that that they that that's not what they're there for. I think keeping the academic piece of it at the forefront, and also addressing the fact that there are, are huge professional aspirations and, and family-changing stakes involved for these kids, and finding a way to uh, address that and provide the most information to those young men to make the best decision possible. 
that's that's having an honest conversation about that and about all of the stakes that are involved and who's really gaining and who's really losing. If the conversation moves to a more honest place uh, because of all of this, not necessarily just this letter, but the entire uh, conversation about the 2020 season and, and what the new normal is going to look like coming, coming out of this pandemic, then, then that's a good thing. Let, let's, let's get a lot of the fluff out of the conversation and let's, let's bring the conversation up above the table and talk directly about what rules are, are there, what are we protecting, whose interests are we protecting, and whose interests should we be protecting, and, and, and let's start there. Let's, let's start with an honest conversation and, and work outward. There would be no doubt that it would be beneficial if there was another path to professionalism for football players, right? And you and I can both agree on that, and, and I, I'm on the same page there. But one of the things that I push back on is um, there are people who t call universities a football factory, right? And if you want to call it a factory in the sense that it creates entertainment and it puts on football games, spectacular. I'll agree with that, right? But... If you want to say that the job of the University of Michigan or the function of the University of Michigan football team is to create NFL players, well, it does a horrible job of that, right? I mean, Clint, what kind of factory would only create 1% or 2% usable product for the next level, right? So it's interesting because, you know, and, and I think Coach is really good at this, right? You know, he will talk about when he recruits players, listen, what you're going to get, what you can guarantee is that you can get a degree. Yeah, there's a chance you're going to go pro, but understand that the odds are, right? Now, what's interesting is that you talk to players and practically every player thinks they're going to win a Heisman Trophy and be the next Tom Brady, okay? It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I remember talking to players in their fifth year who've hardly played. And, and they will be like, you know, this is the year I'm going to break out. And, I, and, and, and at a certain extent, you, you appreciate the enthusiasm. But when you step back from it, it's like, listen, what you really need to do is get your degree, get into the network of Michigan, you know, leverage your relationships to, to get a career, right? So I keep coming back to, you know, well, what, so you're the player who gets your degree and, and, You've put in four or five years, and 10 years from now, you're having health problems because of your career. I think that the, you know, the university needs to do something about that, okay? And I think we need to address that. You know, if you're the pro player who, after a 10-year career, is having health problems, I really kind of view that as kind of an NFL issue. They need to resolve that. So um, I'm really trying to think about, hey, the 97 or 96% of these guys who they're going to get their degree and go and be doctors and lawyers and, and you know, computer scientists and, and, and managers and things. How do we keep the product, and I do call football a product in that sense, how do we encourage those guys to keep playing? Because, you know, I'll tell you, I, I struggle with, you know, you will talk to um, pro players, right, and – they, I have heard the advice given. Listen, if you if you have a young prospect, and they can choose between baseball and football, man, you better choose baseball, 
okay? Because you're not going to get your body beat on in the same way as NFL. And if you make the pros, you know, you have a guaranteed contract, right? There are so many things that are beneficial in other sports compared to football. And I'm going to keep coming back to you that I, I think the NFL Players Association is horrible, right? <laughs> I mean, there's no guaranteed contracts. There's there's a lot of things they could be doing better. And unfortunately, taking care of of these younger players who aren't even in the in the in the union yet is not on their agenda. So that comes back to, unfortunately, I'm not going to look to anything from the NCAA. It really comes back to the universities and and getting some way to um, to protect this game, right? Because at a certain point, if you can't convince people to play, right, you're not going to have any games, okay? It's your, your, your pool is going to get smaller and smaller. So, you know, when I think about the long-term health of the game, you know, you, you got to be, you got to take care of your players better and incentivize them or, or they just, or you're just not going to have it anymore, especially if there is some kind of other um, path to professionalism, right? Yeah, I, I agree. And the if there were an alternate route to the pros that didn't necessarily drive you through guaranteed three years out of high school on a college roster, then the people that are worried about the competition level at the college level, you know, it, it did not hurt the – the the college basketball competition and, and fandom and the NCAA tournament and competitiveness and parity there that will work itself out if the if the best players are, are have some alternate route to get to the NFL that drop in talent level in the talent pool is not going to alter the the quality of the entertainment product that we're looking at in the NCAA football and to be honest, the people that care the most and are the most passionate fans, um, it's not necessarily the the talent level that that drives. It, it's still a, a connection to something larger than yourself, a huge network of of other passionate fans and alumni, and it's the it's having a reason to go back to campus and, and walk the same grounds that you walked um, in a previous. Uh, portion of your life and, and that people have been doing for generations. What, what makes college football great is not necessarily um, wrapped up in, in making sure that all the five stars are guaranteed to be on campus for three years. So I, I, I think I really, really hope that, that a lot of these things that we've talked about take root and, and the conversation spins quickly forward because there's a whole lot to chew on and, and it's all, it, it all needs to be looked at very closely, regardless of which side you fall on any particular thing. Relook at everything. Why are we doing it the way we do it? Should we continue to do it that way? You know, and you made the point at the beginning, you know, if, if there's one thing that, that can be good that can come from this pandemic is if this is a chance to pause and really to think about stuff and consider how we should move forward, then that wouldn't be a, a, a bad thing. Absolutely. I, I, let, let's figure out how, how to, to make the new normal a better normal for every, every opportunity that we can. There's going to be some things that get sacrificed, so let's make sure that there's a benefit 
um, when we come back and, and these things start back up. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.